the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 22, same text that we used last uh, week. We're also going to do 1 Samuel 17 this time around, uh, various translations, but the first and main text is Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 22. Again, uh, this is a new series, and so this is the verse, the launching pad uh, for this new series. Last Sunday, we started a, a new message series exploring the life of King David. Uh, we said that the Bible dedicates more references to the life of David than anyone else other than Jesus Christ himself. His adventures in the, in the scriptures are chronicled in great detail. In fact, the Bible calls him the shepherd boy, the king, the mighty warrior, the musician, the poet, the sinner, and the saint. What I find most compelling, which I shared about last week is about David, is the fact that God's description of him is so real in our text, in our first text. Let's go there. Acts 13, 22 says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I want you to say that phrase with me this morning, after my own heart. Let me hear you say it. One more time, nice and loud. As Christians, I would think that all of us want to be men and women after God's own heart. But what, is, what does that even mean? How do we become a man or a woman after God's own heart? Well, last Sunday, we learned that God doesn't judge by outward appearances, right? Thankfully, God looks at your heart. And see, others may measure your waist size or your, or your wallet, but not God. Our Heavenly Father actually examines your human heart. And so what, I, what exactly did God see when he looked at David's heart? And last week we said that the Lord saw what no one else saw, right? He saw a hardworking heart. He saw a humble heart. And he saw a hallelujah-filled heart. But that's just the beginning. As we continue to journey through the life of David this week, we come to another story that sheds a little bit more light on, on David's heart. And the famous story is the, the story of David and Goliath. How many of you remember that story from Sunday school or church and any other setting? This morning, we're going to unpack that story a little bit for you. Now listen, I don't know about you, but this was always one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There's something about this very story that resonates with me every single time. It almost makes me want to stand up and cheer. See, both life and literature are overflowing with these David and Goliath stories, these David and Goliath moments, timeless tales about underdogs that win the day. Anybody love it when the underdog, when somebody that somebody says, they're not going to make it, they're going to lose. I love it when they make it. I love it when they prove everyone wrong. But whether it's Abraham Lincoln going from the log cabin to the White House or Rocky Balboa going the distance against Apollo Creed, these kinds of stories will always be in style. See, I don't know about you, but it's just more fun to root for the little guy, isn't it? We like to see losers who become winners. And I believe that the story of David and Goliath started it all as far as I'm concerned. And we can find that story in our second text this morning. Go there, 1 Samuel 17. Now remember, when we last left David, King Saul had hired him as his personal musician to play the harp whenever he got a little bit agitated, right? 
Scripture actually tells us that King Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit, but David's worship music was very soothing to the king. And yet we also learned that when David wasn't making music, he traveled home and faithfully continued caring for his father's flock. And so he was commuting. He was going back and forth from the palace to the pasture. But before long, King Saul gathered his army and prepared for battle against uh, uh, their recurring rivals, the Philistines. And now the two opposing forces, they actually met in the Valley of Ella, which was a vast ravine with a, 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 about a mile wide and had a narrow stream flowing through the center of it like a line drawn in the sand. And so the Israelite army, they actually encamped along the northern hills while the Philistines actually occupied the southern mounds. And, and yet before the battle cry could be sounded, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 4, and then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel, and he was over nine feet tall. And so surrounded by his Philistine comrades, I can't even imagine, right? Nine feet tall. Uh, surrounded by his Philistine comrades, Goliath towers way above them all. Arrayed in solid bronze armor, brandishing a, a heavy sword and a spear and a javelin uh, and snarling boldly like the main wrestling contender at a Monday night Raw match. But before we go any further, many people have argued over the actual size of Goliath, right? And see, maybe even your, in your Bible this morning, there's some kind of a note about it uh, because they say that Goliath was, some say that Goliath was six cubits in a span, which is basically roughly nine foot nine inches in, in our vernacular. But a few early, earlier copied scrolls say that he was only four cubits in a, in a span, so more like six foot nine inches. And yet, while every biblical scholar is aware of this discrepancy, no modern English translation has been willing to break away from the taller interpretation, although, like I said, there's some that will note it in the footnotes. But listen, this morning, don't let that diminish your view of Goliath's imposing presence this morning. Whether he was nine foot nine or six foot nine, keep in mind that archaeologists tell us that a tall man in David's day actually stood only five foot six inches. And that's my height this morning, so I happen to like that point of view. So, so either way, Goliath still towered over his friends and foes, much like NBA players would tower over us. And it wasn't just Goliath's height that intimidated his enemies. See, bronze weaponry at the time was cutting edge. It was at the pinnacle of technology in David's day. And, and Goliath actually wore a, a bronze coat that weighed 125 pounds. I remember when my kids weighed about 125 pounds. So Goliath is wearing a coat, the weight of a small child. He also wore a bronze helmet and bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder, plus the shaft of his spear was heavy and thick like a weaver's beam tipped with, with iron that weighed over 15 pounds, and his shield was actually the size of a full-grown man. I want you to pause for a moment. 
I know that this, that's disconnected from, from us because we don't see giants every day and we can't maybe even fully imagine, but picture in your mind what that would look like in front of your eyes. And, and listen, my kids are getting taller and I, you know, and some of you parents, you know what I'm talking about. You start to look up at your kids and that's not always a good feeling because it's like they're growing and you're shrinking. They're getting bigger and you're getting maybe a little smaller, but you get around somebody who's a good size, who maybe has to bend down going through the doorways and that can be an imposing force. It just kind of catches your attention. Imagine how frightening it would have been to take on a man this size protected by this amount of bronze armor. Clearly the odds were, were, were you know, stacked against any foolish one person who was wanting to face him in battle and with massive muscles and bulging biceps, his boasting echoed loudly throughout the whole canyon. And in 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 through 10, go there. 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 10, Goliath shouts, why are you all coming out to fight me? I am the Philistine champion. But you are only, say only, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. In other words, who's man enough? Who's got the guts? Who's got the wherewithal? Who, who's not afraid? And when Saul and the Israelites heard Goliath's challenge, they were terrified. They were freaked out. Many of them literally ran away. And listen, this is one thing you have to consider, that twice a day, every day, for 40 days, Goliath paraded in front of the Israelite army, laughing and sneering, shouting for someone to fight him. And yet there were no challengers. No Hebrew volunteers or warriors even willing to fight. That is until today. Until David, a man after God's own heart. Listen, the Bible says that David, David's three oldest brothers, I'm the youngest of 13, so I can relate to some of this banter. Uh, his three oldest brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimea, they joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. That's why they joined. But uh, David himself was still going back and forth between the palace and the pasture, leading worship and leading sheep. And so one day, little David arrived at the, at a, at the battlegrounds with a care package for his brothers. And just as David had reached the valley, Goliath came out of the Philistine ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Picture that moment. David is standing there searching for his three brothers when all of a sudden he hears this loud, imposing voice, obnoxious shout from across the ravine. And suddenly everyone around him scattered like mice. 
rushing to the rear and, and climbing over each other to get into their tents because they were afraid. And in 1 Samuel 17, 24, go there. It says that whenever the Israelites saw the man, the giant, they all fled from him in great fear. Remember, David has never seen the giant from Gath nor has he heard his challenge until today. And then suddenly David is standing there all alone as all of a sudden everyone is running everywhere, running for cover. And so he looks across the battlefield and he sees this giant of a guy, basically encased in armor, shouting out threats and defiance, and cursing the God of Israel. And that made David's blood boil. See, David wasn't impressed by Goliath. David wasn't intimidated by him. See, his God was the God of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth. And so he thought, why should I be afraid? God is with us. David asked a soldier scampering away in verse 26, go there. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Listen, on top of that, David then discovers that Goliath has actually been mouthing off every single day for over a month at the, and that the king has literally offered a great reward for any man who defeats him. But just then, David's oldest brother, if you've got older siblings, again, you might be able to relate. David's oldest brother, Elias, Eliab, he spots David out of the corner of his eye. Now listen, Eliab clearly harbors some jealousy after being passed over by the prophet Samuel and then watching this little runt of a brother get anointed as king over him. And so in verse 28, Eliab says, you can almost hear the attitude. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. But I love David's response in verse 29. Again, youngest of 13, I get it. What have I done now, David says. And the NIV says, can't I even speak? I was only asking a question. Again, the youngest. Poor David, he can't catch a break. His brother's bitterness and anger, it stings him like venom, and yet he doesn't let that stop him. In fact, instead, he marches straight over to the king's tent and announces to King Saul, I will fight the giant. I'll go. It took some persuading. King Saul tried to discourage him, even offered up his armor, right? His own armor. But David finally stepped out into the battlefield that day and I'm sure that nobody expected little old David to really take on this fight, at least not against this giant. David, David will go? David will fight? And so when Goliath catches this first glimpse of David, he scoffs in verses 43 and 44, go there. Do you think I am a dog? that you come at me with a stick. 
He used as God's names to curse David. Verse 44, and he said to David, come here. I'll feed your, bodies to, your body to the birds of the air and the wild animals. And so tiny teenage David versus bulky brutish Goliath. Or the toothpick versus the tornado. This was an underdog battle for sure, but by the time the dust settled, it was David who actually stood victorious over a headless giant with God on his side. What does that story reveal about David's heart? How does it make King David a man after God's own heart? Well, first of all, I think it demonstrated that David had a committed heart. Would you say committed with me this morning? One more time, nice and loud. Committed. committed. I know that's kind of like a cuss word in some circles because we can't commit to uh, an event or we can't commit to even the smallest of things sometimes. But David had a committed heart. Now listen, how would you feel if you heard someone was talking smack about your wife, your kids, or anyone you cared for? Think about it. That's how David felt when he heard Goliath talking about his God. See, David loved the Lord with all of his heart, with all, his, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, and he would not tolerate anyone talking trash about his, dog, about his God. Remember, David's first words on the scene in verse 26 says, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that, is, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. And so David heard Goliath's insults and he was like, nobody talks about my God like that. Nobody talks about the God of Israel like that. It just can't be allowed. And so David did what no, no one else was willing to do. He stood up for God and he ran to the fight. I mean, when was the last time you stood up for God or boldly defended the cause of Christ publicly. Listen, we may not have ironclad, armor-clad giants shouting insults at us or threatening to feed our flesh to the birds, but our culture seems to breed all kinds of loudmouth critics of Christianity and Christ. Look around you today. As you go out into the world, look around you. Post something about your love for Jesus on social media and you'll see them come out of the work woodwork, right? Post something about your belief in a, a supernatural God who still answers prayer. Do it in a public forum and you'll see, well, you believe like that. I don't have to believe like that. Or, or you can believe in fairy tales, but I don't have to believe in fairy tales. Listen, the typical insult from the Antichrist crowd usually refers to believers as being ignorant or stupid or brainwashed. But when a Christian takes a politically incorrect position, the terms change to bigot or right-winged or extremist, or zealot, and what are we to do? Are we to stay quiet and run away in fear? I, I, by the way, I've been told that. I, 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 I'm a little too vocal. As a pastor, you can't say that. As a pastor, you can't... Listen, are we to run away in fear? Are we to hide and, and pray for God to do something about it? Listen, I don't recommend carrying a slingshot. 
uh, and shooting stones at everyone who says something negative about God, the Bible, or Christianity. But I do believe that we are ca called by God to stand our ground and stand firm in our faith. And we should have an answer full of grace and faith to challenge the lies and the taunts of the enemy. See, Paul reminds us that our battle is not with flesh and blood enemies, but against godless ideologies, philosophies, and thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul writes, we are, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle. Say every. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Listen, as Christians, we should be equipped to boldly answer questions about our faith and our awesome God with gentleness and respect. We forget that part sometimes. Get that. Sometimes you have the answer. Sometimes you can uh, maybe bring correction or bring a, a word of truth to somebody, but you've got to have that gentleness. You've got to have that, that wisdom in those moments. I mean, it's the least we can do for the God who gave it all for us. Amen? If our hearts are as committed to God as David's was, then we would stand up and defend the God that we say we love with the same passion, wisdom, and boldness that David had. And see, clearly when God saw David, a man after God's own heart, he saw a committed heart. How committed are you this morning? How committed are you to your values, to your biblical values? How committed are you to the word of God to know that this is the word that I stand on? This is the guide of my life. I will not pick and choose, but I will live and obey and read this word and know that I am committed to Christ. Amen. A committed heart is what David had, but he also had a, a confident heart. Not cocky not prideful, a confident heart. Listen, when David first approached King Saul about fighting Goliath, Saul looked at David and said, don't be ridiculous. You don't have the size for it. You're just a kid. Have you seen the giant over there? You're no match for him. As I picture it, David was probably thinking like, what giant? Like, seriously, the only giant in my life is the God of Israel, and he's on my side. See, that's a dwarf over there, Saul. That's a midget. And God is bigger than any bully. And so if God is for us, who can stand against us? Then David describes to Saul how in the past God proved himself faithful to him time and time again. He actually reminds Saul of his experience as a shepherd. Go to verses 34 through 37 of our text. It says, David says, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb for the flock, from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, David said. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. 
For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. See, God doesn't waste victories. When he pulls something off, the only way he can do, he says, don't forget it. And so David remembered God's victories from the past and that literally gave him the faith and the confidence he needed for the future. See, the truth is, listen, listen, we all have our own giants, don't we? Listen, your, your Goliath this morning, your Goliath this week may not carry a literal spear or a sword, but your giants today might be unemployment or abandonment or abuse or a, a, a bad report or re depression or, or drunkenness or a divorce. And your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of the Valley of Ella, but today he prances through your life through your office, through your bedroom, through your family, through your town, through your classroom. But a good memory is essential when it comes to giant slaying. You're a giant slayer this morning. You're a child of the king. You need to have a good memory to be a giant slayer. Unfortunately, most of us tend to remember the wrong things. Like we come up against a new giant today and instead of remembering the wins, we're reminded of all the past failures. See, very often when the giant comes, our confidence is shaken and we've lost the battle even before it has begun. A good memory is essential so remember those God victories. See, David, he demonstrates that confidence in 1 Chronicles 16, 12, when he says of the Lord, remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings that he has given. And so instead, listen, listen instead of focusing on your failures, when giants come your way, you got to remember God's faithfulness. Listen, in fact, I challenge you to keep a record of God's accomplishments in your life. Go ahead and maybe note answered prayers in your Bibles or in a journal. And whenever you face another giant, go back to that list and let it fill your heart with faith and with confidence. Remember, in Christ, you are a giant slayer and God is on your side. That giant is a figment of your imagination. It is a midget and a dwarf in comparison to your great big God. God is on your side. That's what David did. That's what gave him a confident heart. And lastly, David also had a courageous heart. A courageous heart. Listen, this is my favorite part of the story. When the time came for both contenders to enter the ring... David, he didn't hesitate or back down at all. He boldly shouted across the creek. And go to verses 45 and 46. This is what he shouted. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, say today, Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut your head off and then I will give your dead bodies 
and men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The Bible also says in verses 48 and 49, as Goliath moved closer to the attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. David quickly ran out to meet him and reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead and the stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell down to the ground. Did anyone notice how David ran not away from but toward his giant? He didn't cower. He didn't hesitate. He didn't call a board meeting. He didn't post it all over social media to try and see what the climate was. He ran towards his giant and he knew that God was with him. And because God was with him on his side, that he would win. That's courage. Worship team, come. When was the last time you ran towards your giants? When was the last time you ran towards your Goliath? How long has it been since you ran toward your challenge? In fact, have you ever done that? Maybe it's time to rethink your strategy. Sadly, we, we have a tendency to retreat. We, we're, we, we have a tendency to duck behind whatever distractions we can find in order to avoid conflict at all costs. We might even ignore the problem because if we think if we ignore it long enough, it's just going to go away. That might work for a moment, a day, or even a year. But guess what? When you're done retreating, when you're done hiding, when you're done ignoring, at the end of the day, the giant is still there. That giant might even seem bigger now. Why not try a different approach? Load your sling and take a swing. Load your sling and take a swing. Rise up in faith and remember what your God did for you last time and watch him do it again. See, time and again, God exhorts his people to have courageous hearts. In fact, Joshua 1.9, he said, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'll add whatever you face. I'll add whatever comes your way. Why not follow David's footsteps? Finding strength and courage in God's company. Having a heart after God's own heart. I mean, I don't know what your intimidating giant is today. It might relate to your job or your family or your school. Maybe it's a person, a lawsuit, an unemployment, a bad report, like I said earlier. Maybe it's some fear that's creeping around the corner. 
sucking the energy out of your life, draining your faith. Maybe you don't even know what lies ahead and you can't get a handle on what that giant is, but it's right there taunting you. I mean, uncertainty alone can be a giant. This morning, I want you to take a, a page from David's playbook. Commit your heart to God. Have confidence in God's ability to handle the situation. And then rush at your giant with a courageous heart. God is with you. God is for you. He will not let you fail. He's on your side. Listen, when you do, you'll not, you'll not only overcome your giants, but you'll become a man or a woman after God's own heart. Would you stand? Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I don't know who's going through what this morning. I don't know what people are facing, but you do. I know that we may not have Goliath like David did, but we have our own Goliaths. We have our own giants. We have our own challenges and things that we face. And this morning, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you would give us the commitment that you would give us the confidence and that you would help us to be courageous to face our giants today. Again, Lord, you are with us, you are for us, and you will not let us fail, Lord. You are fighting on our behalf. And so God, in the name of Jesus, have your way touch your people. Lead and direct us. In Jesus' name. Amen.